that was being passed out tonight as you came in, if you do not, raise your hand. It's a, a note sheet for three separate weeks of sharing on Sunday night. We've broken this down so we could spend about 20 minutes each Sunday night sharing from this great chapter in Philippians. Tonight, after we share a few minutes, Dean and Mary Brown are coming back to lead us in our final segment of worship and healing through the presence of God. We're no, we know we're going to have a wonderful wrap-up to this Sunday night service. The secure mind principle is the general theme of chapter 4, and it's broken down into three segments, well, actually four, but over three separate weeks. And we're going to be dealing with the first tonight, titled God's Presence. A lot of people are having trouble with uh, the mind these days. A fellow went to the doctor, he said, I'm having a terrible time remembering things. And the doctor said, how long have you had this problem? And he said, had what problem? So, depending on where you are in age, you may be experiencing this in some degree or another. The secure mind principle. There is a word that uh, characterizes the insecure mind, and that is the word worry. We are in a worrying age, without doubt. People are worried about a lot of things. Worry, worry, worry. We want to try to explain to you what worry really means. We have uh, indicated that for you there on the notes. It literally means to strangle. It's like somebody with their hands around your neck choking off your life source. And that's exactly what worry does. And these Philippians were experiencing this problem. Paul got wind of this, and so he wrote them this letter. Now, the problem with worry and strangulation through worry is that it does not hit you in just one area. It hits you really in three areas. It hits you physically, affecting you definitely in a physical sense. It then attacks you mentally, playing games with your mind. And then thirdly, it attacks you spiritually so that you do not experience the presence of God. And that's the biggest problem as far as Paul was concerned, how it robs you of the presence of God, the awareness of God in your life. So Paul expounds in Philippians on the secure mind principle. In chapter 1, if you just want to thumb back there, we've covered this ground before, but let me just remind you what chapter 1 was about. Chapter 1 was about the single mind. James says that a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. Paul presents us the single mind principle, and notice these verses, verse 21. For to me to live is Christ. That's a single mind, and that's a powerful mind that helps you physically, mentally, and spiritually. Verse 27, let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit, single mind. 
Going back to verse 6, he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Single mind principle. Jesus Christ in control. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I am better off if that should be God's plan. The second chapter has to do with the submissive mind or the mind of humility. Verses 5 through 8 are the key verses. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a servant and coming in the likeness of men. Submissive mind, a mind of a servant who submits himself to the total will and purpose of God. Verse 21, for all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. That's not the submissive mind. So that's the second chapter and its emphasis. The third chapter is the spiritual mind. Verse 1, rejoice in the Lord, no matter what. Have you got it? Now, what mind is that? It's the spiritual mind. The spiritual mind rejoices in the Lord, no matter what. Verse 8, Indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish. Why? That I may gain Christ. That's the spiritual mind. Verses 13 and 14, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of Christ Jesus. Do you have that spiritual mind? Verses 20 and 21, our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Those are the first three chapters, the single mind, the submissive mind, and the spiritual mind. Friends, if you are going to have peace and happiness in your life, you're going to have to combat worry. You're going to have to combat the pressure that stress through worry brings in your life, which affects you, as I have said, physically, mentally, and spiritually. It is not God's will for you to worry. It is God's will for you to have a secure mind. Now, what causes worry? There are three basic things that cause worry. They are these, wrong thinking about people, about circumstances, and about things. You can sum it all up in that brief a comment. What causes worry? Wrong thinking about people, about circumstances, and about things. If we had time, we could show you in detail how Paul dealt with this in his own life. In verses 1 through 5 of the chapter we're in tonight, chapter 4, he deals with this thing about persons. I implore Yodia and implore Syntyche to be 
of the same mind. You see, Paul dealt with this in his own life as it dealt with persons. In circumstances, in verses 10 through 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, is his classic statement in the 13th verse. Things or circumstances were not going to move him, for he could do anything through Christ. And in verses 14 through 19, he deals with things by saying, My God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Paul refused to be disturbed by these things that came into his life and into his ministry, and the result was what all of us need, and I trust all of us want, a secure mind in an insecure world. So in Philippians 4, there's a fourfold remedy for worry. We're going to deal with just the first one in these few moments together. Take your Bible and share with me the first five verses of Philippians 4. The first five verses, please. I want us to read in unison. Everybody, write out loud. If your neighbor doesn't have a Bible, share yours. Let us all read God's Word together. Verses 1 through 5. Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren... My joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. I implore Yodia and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. These five verses deal with God's presence. Notice the last statement we read at the end of verse 5. Underline it. The Lord is at hand. Translated, that means he is here to help right now. As you follow this concept through the Bible, you will discover, of course, time and again, God's revelation of that fact. Whether it was with Abraham, who saw the stars in multitude, whether it was Moses, who had to go before Pharaoh or Joshua down in the prison, and finally on the throne of Egypt, or Jesus himself as he walked the shores of Galilee and the hills of Judea, or the apostle who wrote these words, the Lord is at hand, the Bible informs us that he's ever-present with us. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. Our problem is that he is not visible to us, and we battle with that. I'll never forget Rich Wilkerson talking to me about his little boy, John Fulton. John Fulton has a little lisp. He talks a little bit like this, and he's the cutest little guy, even as a little violin now he's playing, taking after his father. And one night, little John Fulton was upset in his room because the light had been turned out, and he was fussing so that Rich had to come into the room. And he said, John Fulton, what's the matter with you? He said, it's dark in here, and I'm scared. 
So Rich climbed into bed with him, and he said, Now, John Fulton, you know Jesus is here. And little John said, No, he isn't. Oh, yes, he is. Jesus is in this room with you. And little John Fulton said, Is he in the closet? And this thing went on and on and on, as only a little child can do. And it took Rich quite a little bit of theological explanation to let John Fulton know that Jesus was there, though he couldn't see him. And that's the way it is with a lot of us. Many of us never leave that feeling. We go through life wondering where God is. Let us look at these verses to see what help there might be in these five simple verses in Philippians 4. Paul begins by telling us that two women in the church were having difficulty. And this brings us to what happens by wrong thinking about persons. Paul implores these two women to get right with each other. Now, folk, you dare not miss this fact in Philippians 4. God's presence is withheld when people are not walking in agreement. Yodia and Siddiqui, or soon Touchy, as some people call her, were not walking in agreement. And God's presence was being withheld from that body of believers because of the problem with these two people. We don't know what the problem was. We don't know whether they were fussing over a Sunday school class. We don't know whether they were fussing over the donuts that weren't quite right for the church social. We're not told, but they were having disagreement. And Paul implored them, and that word is a powerful word. It's, an, it's a word of emergency. I implore you, get this thing straightened out, because disagreement releases God's presence from our midst. Now, just apply that, if you will, for a moment, in your home setting. What happens when disagreements set in? Icicles develop in the ceiling, don't they? It's very difficult to communicate. It's murder. And one thing you don't want to do at that point is pray. Why is that? Because you don't feel the presence of God. You don't even want anybody mentioning the name of the Lord. Just makes you more angry. It's a good way to evaluate what Paul was dealing with in the church and what I want to underscore in your hearing tonight. Worry is caused when we think wrong about persons. Disagreements enter in. The presence of God is absent. Why, you can even walk in a room not having been a part of what was going on in that room and feel icicles. It's just communicated very strongly through the atmosphere of people who are in disagreement. So what is the solution? What is the answer? Paul gives it to us here in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. He does not say rejoice in people. He says rejoice in the Lord. People are going to disappoint us. We are mortal, not immortal. We are finite, not infinite. We make mistakes. 
We say things we should not say. We do things that we should not do. So the solution, according to this passage of Scripture, is to rejoice in the Lord. And again, in case you miss it, he says, I will say, rejoice. But I don't want to. All the more reason to do so. Because if you want the presence of God, which, be, which uh, brings a secure mind, you're going to have to rejoice in the Lord, and you're going to have to be gentle in your spirit, in your relationships. Let your gentleness be known to all men. To my wife? Absolutely. To my husband? Absolutely. But he's a brute. Doesn't matter to all men. And rejoice in the Lord. And again, I will say, rejoice. Our relationships with people definitely affect our experiencing the presence of God. And when his presence is missing, worry ensues. Get along with one another is the translation. The Lord is at hand. Now, can you handle that? It's a command. You can't erase it from the page of your Bible. You have to deal with it. There are people floundering spiritually because they refuse to get along with somebody else. It's not worth it, friend. Whatever it takes, resolve the problem. Rejoice in the Lord and let gentleness flow from your life in the relationships you have one with another. And the presence of God will fill your heart and fill your mind, and you will be healed by the presence of God from worry and care that is brought along by the agitation of personalities. It's amazing that these first five verses break down in that way, but that's exactly the background of this first part of Philippians 4. Let me tell you a story that illustrates perhaps a bit how this can be applied. A young college student preparing a doctoral thesis had the opportunity to spend a year with a group of Navajo Indians on a reservation in the Southwest. There he was to do his research for his paper by living with one family for that whole year, sleeping in their hut, eating their food, working with them, and generally living the life of a 20th century Indian. The old grandmother of the family spoke no English at all, yet a very close relationship formed between that young college student and that elderly Navajo grandmother. They shared a lot of time, sharing the common language of love and understanding. Over the months, he learned a few words of Navajo, and she picked up a little of the English language. The year sped by as he put together the information he needed for his thesis and enjoyed the relationships with that tribe, and particularly with that one family. When it was time for him to return to the campus, the tribe held a going-away celebration. He had become close to the whole village, so it was a time of sadness. Finally, the celebration ended, and he was getting into the pickup truck to leave when the old grandmother of the family he had lived with came to tell him goodbye. 
With tears streaming down her face, she placed her hands on either side of his face, looked directly into his eyes and said, I like me best when I'm with you. In the presence of our Lord, he brings the best out of us. Without the presence of the Lord, it's the worst of us. I think the relationship described in that story is the relationship that Paul is imploring in these opening verses of Philippians 4. In the secure mind principle, I like me best when I'm with you. I can say that. When I'm with the Lord, I like me best. When I'm feeling God's power and God's spirit and God's love working in my heart, and I know my relationship with my wife is right and my children is right and my work associates is right and with others in my life, I feel good about myself when he is there manifesting his power and presence through my life. When it's not that way, I am of all men most miserable. And what sets in? Worry, agitation. And there comes, if you let it go, physical problem, mental anguish, and spiritual destitution. The cares, the disappointments of our life are behind us when we look in the eyes of Jesus and realize the depth of his love, that it embraces every circumstance every relationship that ever could be known to man. Friends, we hear, we hear a lot these days about self-esteem. There are books on self-esteem. There are courses on self-esteem. I want you to know that self-esteem, the Bible way, depends upon your relationship with the presence of God. That's where it really counts. In the presence of the Lord, our self-esteem is made known to us. Our eyes on him enables us to get along with each other. And we can experience what Paul says, stand fast in the Lord, be of one mind, rejoice in the Lord. The Lord is near at hand. That last statement does not have anything to do with his return. It is not a prophetic statement. It has nothing to do with what we call the rapture of the church or the second coming of Christ. It is totally and emphatically a statement about the presence of the Lord. When you get Yodia and Syntyche fellowshipping together, you get the church loving one another, the presence of God fills their lives, fills the church, the Lord is near at hand. That's exactly what it means. Now, I don't know if you have some work to do or not, but... This little meditation tonight hopefully will get you off the sofa to take care of some relationships. Whether it's at work, whether it's right here in the church, whether it's in your family, it doesn't matter where it is. If it is robbing you of the presence of God, you must, in the name of the Lord, make that thing right. I implore you, just as Paul implored Yodia and Syntyche to make it right, because if you don't, you won't have the presence of God and worry and physical impairment, and spiritual destitution, and mental anguish will set in, if it's not already setting in. Practice the presence of Christ this way. Stand fast in the Lord. 
be of one mind, rejoice in the Lord, and always remember the Lord is near at hand. Wrong thinking about persons, about circumstances, and about things creates worry. And worry separates you from God, who said to us so clearly in the Sermon on the Mount, we are not to be anxious for anything, but we are always to trust him in everything. Are you doing it? That's the first section of the secure mind principle passage. Get in right relationships with each other and remember the Lord will be there at hand, helping, healing, filling your life with all that you need and desire. The sermon entitled, God's Peace Follows Immediately. You have the notes. Have they been passed out? How many don't have? I guess I should ask that. You don't have a copy. Raise your hand. Few folk. Good. The ushers have done a good job. Some of the folk over in the balcony section over here didn't get one in the choir. You will notice as you receive the notes that we have broken Philippians 4 down into three categories or sections. We've given you the entire outline, but we're doing it over three different Sunday nights. We've already covered the first part, God's presence. The total theme of these Sunday nights is on the sound mind principle. This chapter is a chapter of healing. It's a chapter that carries us through any circumstance, any situation we may face in life. So it's a very important chapter. We appreciate the opportunity to share it with you. We have looked at God's presence in the sound mind principle, and the song we've just shared is, is part of that. And then tonight we look at the peace of God, which is the second facet of the sound mind principle. You have God's presence and you have God's peace. Promised you. And in the midst of tribulation, he will stand by you. And then we're going to take the last two, God's power and God's provision, on Sunday night, August the 4th, and we're going to share those two in, in one session. Tonight we go from verse 6 through verse 9 in the sound mind principle of Philippians chapter 4. You have your Bible, I trust. I will not ask you to stand again, but I would like you to share with me as I indicate to you what I'd like you to do. So have your Bible ready, if you will, please. Verse 6, Philippians 4, Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God. Now everybody read with me verse 7. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now again, that wasn't good enough. This is one of the great verses of the Bible, and you can't read it like a milk toast. You've got to read it with gusto. You've got to believe it. That's what I want to say. You've got to believe it because it is God's Word and a very liberating truth in every life. Read it again now, verse 7. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, 
will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Praise the Lord. Now he gives you some finals. Finally, brethren, whatever things are, give me the word, whatever things are, whatever things are, whatever things are, whatever things are, whatever things are of, if there is any, and if there is anything, everybody meditate on these things, not on the Sunday paper. Meditate on these things. One more verse. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me. Now go back and look at that again. The things which you, number one, learned, number two, received, number three, heard, number four, saw in me. These do, now read this, and the God of peace will be with you. Say that again. And the God of peace will be with you. Amen. Praise the Lord. What a great declaration from the pen of the Apostle Paul. Now, where do you get peace with God? Let's start there. Peace with God begins with this simple word that we have heard many, many times, the word faith. That's where the, the peace of God begins. And if you will look back to Paul's letter to the Roman church, you will see in chapter 5, verse number 1, this basis. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have what? Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So let me just set the record straight tonight. If you are here without faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, it is obvious that you cannot have peace. So you have to come to God by faith. You have to receive Jesus Christ by faith. And when you do that, the result is the peace of God will come to you, and then you have to keep it through the methods and means that we are going to discuss together tonight. The peace of God and the presence of the God of peace will produce in us right thinking, right praying, right living. Worry dissipates when you have the peace of God and the presence of the God of peace in your life. And we see both of those things in Philippians chapter 4. We read in verse 7, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds. And then in verse 9, the God of peace will be with you. So you not only have the blessing of salvation, which brings peace, but you have the literal and very God of peace abiding with you, so that whether you're Corey Ten Boom in Ravensbrook Prison, 
or Lieutenant Colonel Robinson Reisner in Vietnam, Hanoi, Hilton Prison, you can come out of that horrible setting and say, the peace of God kept me, and the God of peace was there with me through it all. Hallelujah. Now, if you're not experiencing that kind of relationship, this service is for you without question. Now, I have a book on my library shelf which I took down in preparation for this service because I wanted to write down the chapter titles of that book. The book is titled, Don't Park Here. So that made it kind of interesting, just the title. I wanted to see what it had to say. And to my joy, these were the titles of the chapters. Don't park by your handicaps. Don't park by your failures. Don't park by your successes. Let me pause there to just illustrate that. We could do that as a church having moved into this marvelous facility and we're sitting here tonight as comfortable as possible in 104 degree heat. We're sitting here in comfort. I can wear this suit in absolute comfort and preach to you. It's so wonderful in here. But listen to me. Don't park by your successes. That is a dangerous place to park. And you can just Amplify that in any way you'd like, in your individual life, your business life, your corporate life, your married life. Don't park by your successes. The biggest room in the world is the room for improvement. And we never arrive until we get on the other side. When that which is perfect has come, then we will have arrived, but not until then. In the meanwhile, we can't even park by our successes. We have to keep growing. We have to keep developing our faith and our trust and our relationship with God and with each other. Well, that was the third chapter. The fourth chapter was don't park by your fears. The next one was don't park by your sufferings. The next one was don't park by your resentments. The next to the last chapter was don't park by your sorrows. And the last chapter was, Don't Park by Your Religious Experiences. Great chapter. You must always be on the growing edge of religious experience. Those of you who are baptized tonight, and how exciting that was, don't park in that baptismal tank. Don't park in your experience of water baptism. Look back on it with joy, but don't park there. Move on. There is the baptism in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. There are nine gifts of the Holy Spirit, and you can use all of them when needed if you're a Spirit-filled believer. There are nine fruits of the Spirit, and all of them should be manifesting themselves on the limbs of our lives. So don't park by your religious experiences. You understand that? Don't get comfortable in your religious experience. I think one way of illustrating that would be to 
Observe what I see at times in the work of God, that people who met the Lord years ago on their knees or on their face at an altar in a camp meeting or in a revival meeting, they hit the altar for weeks and weeks and weeks, but it's been a long time now since they've been on their knees at the altar of the church. We ought to be bothered by that. We ought to be troubled by that. I don't think we can ever sit back in comfortability in our religious experience and say, we have arrived. We cannot park in those experiences of yesterday. We've got to go on and perfect our faith and be militant in the service of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you just sit down the best place to sit is in front of the undertaker's office because you're about to die. And save us the bother of carrying you to his office. So park there, sit there if you're going to sit. Is that clear enough? We don't want you there, and God doesn't want you there. There is to be a development of our faith. There is to be a progression of our religious experience. So we cannot park here. Now, with that as a background, let us look at these three points under the peace of God that will lead us on, I pray, into a growing relationship with this God of peace who said he would be with us. First, in verses 6 and 7, you have the importance and necessity of right praying. Not just praying, but right praying. Now, this book we call the Bible nowhere says that any kind of praying will bring peace to our hearts. Sometimes we sit down in our early prayers and don't get up to grow in prayer. I challenge you to find anywhere in this book that says any kind of praying will bring peace to your heart. There are certain kinds of praying that we have to move into, and the first one is adoration. You have to be a praiser, an adorer of the object of worship, the Lord Jesus Christ. How are you doing? Oh, but you say, I came in the Episcopalian door. I'm sorry, you can't sit there. I don't care what door you came through, you've got to come to that door of adoration in your prayer life. You know why it is so difficult for some of you to spend any amount of time in prayer because you're always asking. The first section of any of our approach to God should be that of adoration. Now notice what he said. Don't worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. Now get this, with what? Thanksgiving. 
with adoration, with gratitude. Let your requests be made known unto God, and the result is the peace of God, the secure mind principle. I find very few people around these days who have a secure mind through the peace of God who are not praisers, who are not worshipers, who come into the presence of God without a sense of awe and a sense of grandeur and a sense that this is the most important thing we're about to do is to praise and adore our living Lord. Oh, friends, why are we so hesitant to adore him? We sing, oh, come, let us adore him at Christmas. We ought to do it every day of our life. He's Christ the Lord every day of the world. And the ones who know adoration are the ones who will know the peace of God and be secure in their mind and live triumphantly and gloriously throughout their whole lifetime. Be a praiser. Be one who knows how to adore the Lord. It's enjoying the presence of God, if I may say it that way. It's enjoying the presence of God. It's honoring Him in worship rushing into his presence and begging for peace of mind will never get results. That's why I said it's not just any kind of praying, it's certain kind of praying that we need. And Paul qualifies that with that word thanksgiving, which is translated adoration. Come with adoration, come with awe, come with reverence. Oh, come let us adore him. Christ the Lord, you don't just barge into a king's palace and say, I've got to have thus and so. You come saying, King, my king, you have done so much for all of us. You are adored. You are someone to be thanked for all that you have accomplished. You are a wonderful monarch. Oh, king, I bow before you, right? You don't just barge in and say, I've got to have this and I've got to have that. Give me peace. It doesn't work that way. You've got to come and adore him. Teach your children how to adore the Lord. Teach your children how to sit in the presence of the Lord and bask in his goodness, to bask in his glory, and to just be grateful for who he is. That's the first kind of praying that brings peace to the heart. Then you move from there to supplication, which means the earnest, sincere desire of the heart. Notice I said of the heart. It doesn't just come from the lips. It comes from the heart from down inside. What a joy it is to present our request to him. Without picking at any church, denomination, you don't have to have an in-between. You don't have to have somebody between you and Jesus Christ to make your request known. You come, what? Boldly into the throne room and make your request boldly unto the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't have to have somebody in here. You don't have to have Mary. 
and we admire Mary. And I think it's going to be one of the blessings of heaven to meet Mary. And I suspect Mary is going to say to some people, why in the world didn't you get the message? You didn't need me. All you need is my son. He is the advocate. He is the go-between. He is the mediator between God and man. He is the man, Christ Jesus. And my friends, there is no purgatory other than Calvary. A place of purgation is what purgatory means. There is no medium place before you go one way or the other. Calvary was the place of purgation. Calvary was the place our sins were dealt with. You don't need anything else. So when we come to this word supplication, by prayer and supplication, hey, when you've adored him, when you've entered into his presence with awe and with reverence, supplicate without hesitancy, without thinking you've got to have the pastor there or somebody else there, the mother of Jesus there. All you have to do is come into the presence of the king and bring your requests and make them known, and the God of peace will keep your heart and mind. That's his promise. That's what supplication is all about. The third step in right kind of praying is appreciation. After you have supplicated, you say, thank you. It takes faith to thank him for uncomfortable circumstances and things that you do not yet see. We normally close every prayer with something of this sort. Thank you, Lord, for hearing our prayer. Thank you for answering our prayer. In Jesus' name, thank you. Amen. Then we move forward, not with frustration, not with a sense of fear, not with doubt, but we move out of the prayer closet after adoration, after supplication, with thanksgiving, knowing that our Father who gives his gifts to his children is ready to bestow upon us those things that will be good for us. And remember, folks, God answers every prayer that you pray. Sometimes he says yes, sometimes he says no. Sometimes he says, not today. It's not good for you now. But he answers. Always. And it is up to us to relax in him. The God of peace will be with you. That's the kind of praying that brings God's kind of results. Notice, if you will, before we move to the second section tonight, back in the book of Daniel... There was in Daniel's prayer in uh, chapter 6 of Daniel this very idea presented in his own dealings with God. Daniel 6, verse number 10. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home, and in his upper room, with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as was his custom since early days. 
Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. There's the word supplication. But what is, it, what is it prefaced by? It is prefaced by the word thanks. Now, how can you thank God when you know the decree has been signed and you're going into a den of lions? But he was thanking God for his circumstance and believing that the God of peace was going to be with him through it all. And was he? History says absolutely. The angel of the Lord shut the lion's mouths and he was preserved. That's the kind of praying all of us need. And don't sit down with, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. Don't sit down with a little prayer over the food. Move on in your prayer life to those three areas that Paul alludes to here in this wonderful passage of Scripture. Adoration, supplication, and thanksgiving. Let them be a part of all of your coming before the Lord. And I guarantee you God's results. And they're good. And you'll find peace. Secondly, right thinking in verse 8. Finally, brethren. Oh, I love this verse. It's been a boon to my life so many times. You have a choice to make how you think. Did you know that? You have a will. You can decide how you think. We are what we think. Peace involves the mind. Isaiah 26.3 is one of the most oft-quoted verses in the Bible. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. You'll be kept in perfect peace when your mind is stayed on the Lord. How is your thinking process? Thoughts are powerful. Proverbs 23, 7, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Paul tells us in this verse what to think about. If you have any question as to what you ought to think about, there it is. Memorize it. Whatever things are true, let's not be gossips. Let's not be spreading around idle tales and dwelling in lies and superstition. Whatsoever things are true, think on these things. Whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, oh, could I elaborate on that? We've got garbage all over today. We're supposed to dwell on things that are pure. I've told you, haven't I, about the young lady that came in to her kitchen, her mother was at the sink preparing the evening meal, and this daughter stood there and watched as her mother took the garbage sack from under the sink, put it up on the counter, and poured it out into the salad and began to mix the garbage and the salad all together. And her daughter just about went nuts. She said, Mother, have you gone mad? Oh, she said, It's all right, honey. A little garbage in the salad never hurt anybody. It's the same thing you tell me when I tell you that you can't go here and you can't associate with this group and you can't do this and you're not going to have X-rated films and you're not going to go to these movies and you're not going to do this. You said, oh, it doesn't matter. It balances out. So I'm just going to live on the same principle that you expound. So a little bit of garbage in the salad isn't going to hurt any of us. 
That little girl turned on her heels and never, never again questioned her mother's wisdom. Whatsoever things are what? Pure. You want to mix in a little garbage? Then you're going to have a tummy ache. You're going to wish one day that your mind dwelt on those things that were pure and not on those things that were garbage. Now, you can choose that if you want to. Whatsoever things are lovely. When we live with people, sometimes they irritate us. Things they do irritate us. We have a choice to make. We can dwell on that, or we can dwell on the lovely qualities. I have asked people in my office from time to time when they've come in mad at each other. It's interesting to watch how they come in to sit. They look around the room to see if they can get away from the other. They'll sit on one side, one on the other. And you know, as a counselor, you've got a little bit of a problem about that kind. And so after they dig and dig and that's not true, I never did then, and it's all back and forth, this garbage, this ugliness. I have often handed each of them a piece of paper and I've said, now you've spewed out all that you can think of about your mate that is ugly. Now, would you mind just writing down on this piece of paper a few things that are lovely about your mate? They don't want to. <laughs> but I insist they're going to take up my time. They're going to do what I ask. <laughs> Write down the nice things. Well, then he starts to think, well, she's a good cook. Cool. Boy, that's worth a lot. <laughs> she is a very good housekeeper, and she's really good with the children. And on and on, you know, suddenly there's, there's coming this reservoir of this lovely that was all covered over. It was all buried down underneath all of this stuff somewhere. And what is the result? No peace. They're agitated. She will not squeeze the toothpaste from the bottom. She does it from the top. Drives me batty. Whatsoever things are lovely think on these. Oh, but she's a wonderful cook, so it doesn't matter. I have a solution for that. Get two tubes. <laughs> it's so simple. Simple solution. Do I need to go further? You understand what this is all about, whatsoever things are lovely. You can do this when you come into church. You can think on what irritated you. A certain thing just irritates you. Somebody, something, me, whatever. It just irritates whatever things are lovely. Is there anything lovely around here that you might think about? Think on these things. And then he says if there is any virtue after talking about a good report and if there's anything praiseworthy, these are the things on which to meditate. Will you do it? Worthlessness, bitter resentment, self-pity, self-indulgence, self-centeredness, all prevent any healing that we may need, and all negate 
the peace of God that we need so desperately in our lives. Takes away the sound mind principle. Did you read about the Center for Attitudinal Healing in Tiburon over by San Francisco? Article in the paper about this particular therapy hospital for children who have terminal diseases, traumatic diseases in their lives. Center for Attitudinal Healing. That title kind of captured me a bit, and I looked at that article, and in summation, it's simply this, that those people teach those children to think about others and not to think about themselves. And this is their main line in teaching these children with traumatic diseases. If you can help someone else, you're not disabled. Boy, that is great stuff. If you can help someone else, you are not disabled. A center for attitudinal healing. We need one in the church. And I want to set it up right now. I now establish at Capital Christian Center the Center for Attitudinal Healing. And it's very simple. We just start living Philippians 4, 8. We commit it to mind, and we live it out. And whenever somebody around us gets a little crotchety, we say, 4, 8. I'm sorry. So all you have to say is, for eight, and they'll tremble, and they'll repent, and the peace of God will again envelop them, and they won't get diseases. I am convinced that the way we think affects our health. I'm absolutely convinced of it. I'm convinced that one who thinks negatively and self-centeredly and resents people and things and all of this other will not be well in the final analysis. I'm also convinced that the person who practices 4-8 will be well and will have the peace of God ruling in their heart. The God of peace will be there at all times. The last point of this particular passage is right living. Verse 9, the things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. Those two words, these do. You put them into action. If there is something in my life I dare not pray about, then I will never have peace. Now, it's a transitional thing. You see, you, you move from one to two and now into three. Now you have to say, is there anything in my life I cannot get on my knees and say, God, here it is. If you refuse, no peace. These do. The things that you've learned, the things that you've seen, the things that you've heard, do. Put it into practice. Don't be proud. Get down before God and say, I'm going to pray through this thing so that I can live with peace, have a right mind and a right heart. 
Read carefully sometime James chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. I'm not going to take the whole passage, but just read it carefully sometime. When James talks about counting it all joy, when you fall into various trials, the testing of your faith that produces patience, and let the lowly brother, in verse 9, glory in his exaltation, the rich in his humiliation, the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits, and the whole 11 verses that start that wonderful book to the church deals with the importance of humbling yourself before God whether you be rich or whether you be poor, that you come to God with the right spirit and the God of peace will be with you. We need that, friends, in the church of Jesus Christ today. If you pray wrong, if you live wrong, if you think wrong, you'll produce wrong. It's that simple. Verse 3 of this chapter I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. You see, they didn't pray right. They didn't think right. They didn't live right. And so he moves down to the 4-8 principle. Whatever things are true, whatever things are pure, whatever things are holy, think on these things. And the God of peace will be with you. You have a choice to make. A little girl, not used to church, walked into church with her daddy, looked up in front and saw a big cross for the first time up in front of the church. And she said to her daddy, Daddy, what's that plus sign doing up there? I had never thought about it that way. But that is sort of what it is, isn't it? Plus sign. I like that. The way of the cross is a plus. The way that Paul describes here in this passage of Scripture is a definite plus. You meditate on these things. Even when you're walking through the valley, you meditate on on these things. You go back into the Psalms and you read, like Psalm 23, verse number 4, that great psalm of the shepherd, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. It's a plus sign there in front of me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest the table before me in the presence of mine enemies. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's a plus sign. I hope we'll remember the observation of the little girl as she went into church. Now, in closing, I just want to explain one part of this uh, passage of Scripture where it says that there will be a guard over us. The presence of God will guard our hearts and minds. That's in verse 7. Guard. I looked that word up to see if it was a military term, and it is exactly a military term. It really translates this way, 
a guard against alien soldiers. It is the picture of a company of soldiers keeping watch over a city. It's the picture of a garrison surrounding the object. Now look at it again with that in mind. The peace of God will be a garrison around your heart and around your mind. Isn't that beautiful? What can get through? Nothing. Guard, a sentinel. God positions a military host, if need be, around us to guard us, to preserve us, so that we have a secure mind in an insecure world. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will keep your heart and keep your mind through Jesus Christ the Lord. Hallelujah. Simple outline. Right praying, right thinking, right living. I don't have anybody else's testimony to give you tonight. I'll just give you mine. I have been practicing this principle for many, many years. And I stand here before you and before God tonight to say, I have yet in my life to spend a worried night without sleep. I have yet to spend a day letting the devil push me around through his labyrinth of insecurity and doubt and fear and distrust. I have had the peace of God as a sentinel over my mind and over my heart. I think that's why I have been so well. I think that's why with a busy schedule, God gives me his peace, his joy, and health. I feel good. And I give God the glory because I found this principle long time ago. I decided then I was going to keep my mind secure. I was going to think on things pure, true, good report, lovely things. And I would not let the adverse and the negative control my life. And I praise God tonight that he showed me that by his Holy Spirit. I share by personal testimony that it works. And as I have prayed for this service, God has directed me in how we are to conclude. There are people here tonight who need peace. You love the Lord, but you don't have peace. He also showed me that there would be businessmen in our service tonight who are on the verge of compromise because things aren't going quite as well as you would like them to go, and the tendency is, I've got to do this the way the world does in order to keep up with my competition. And maybe I have to stretch the truth a little bit. Maybe I have to just lie just a little bit or, or compromise just a little bit. God wants to say something to you tonight in the altar service. You'll never have the peace of God if you live that way, and you'll never have a secure mind 
and it'll start affecting you physically as well as emotionally. And God wants you to know you can have perfect peace if you just make a choice to think the way 4-8 tells you to think. There are young people in our service tonight who are trying to make the best of both worlds. You want to go to heaven, you don't like the thought of burning in hell, but you're trying to get a little bit of the world and a little bit of heaven at the same time. And God wants you to know you're never going to be healthy that way. You've got to come into the 4-8 principle and do it now before things start happening in your life. Don't wait. Do it now. And there are some of you tonight that are living apart from the commandments of God, yet you want God's peace and you want God's joy. But my friend, I'm here as a prophet of the Lord to tell you you'll never find it until you break and do it tonight from that compromising kind of life that you've gotten yourself into. Get out of it. Whatever it takes, move out of it. And when you do, the peace of God will come and you can pray again. And you can get through to God again. And you can know he's real in your life. Will you take the challenge? Let's stand together, please. Lord Jesus, as we stand to our feet, we thank you for your presence in this building. We thank you for the opportunity to share this simple passage of Scripture, which is such a powerful, powerful section for the healing and health of all of us. Lord God, I pray that now people will make decisions that will last for eternity. They will choose to follow the Lord, people who don't have peace, businessmen who have thought of that compromise, young people who have been trying to make the best of both worlds. I pray in Jesus' name you'll break the feathers tonight and loose them in the name of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Satan, get away from here. Get away from any of these people. You have no right nor lot here. You're not welcome here. This is not where you belong. Get out of here in the name of Jesus. Every evil thought, every distrustful thought, every resentment, every bitterness, every bit of doubt, flee in the name of Jesus, we pray. Let there come the victory of Calvary. Let the plus sign rule over us tonight in this place. In the name of Jesus Christ, I thank you. Now, friend, I want my staff, board members, any elders, I want you to come down like we do on Sunday morning. I want you to line up across the front. You're God's servants, and all I want you to do when people come, I don't want you to ask them what they've come for. They know what they've come for. I just want you to reach out and lay your hand on them, and in the name of Jesus, give them God's peace. And I believe as we make that point of contact, because you're not going to come unless you want to, you're going to make a choice to come down that aisle and receive the touch of a leader of this church, and I'm going to guarantee you that God's peace is going to hit you, and he's going to flood your soul because you've made a choice. You're going to start thinking right. We're going to sing, Bob, and say, peace, peace, wonderful peace, coming down from the Father above. Now come along, leaders, get down here. And line up across the front and be a servant of God to grant the blessing and the anointing. Pastors, wives, sure, come along. There'll be ladies that come. You can touch as well. It'd be great to have some of you right here. I'm excited. Are you? Hallelujah. All right, let's sing it. You start coming. <laughs> 